Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart. I am Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode eight, chapters 18 and 19, where Tess learns new information about Asa and Delia at Asa's funeral, and we see the aftermath of Jack learning the secret about his parents. Now, chapter 19 has some innuendo that I have left in. There are a few intimacies that have been edited out to keep from violating any podcast and video hosting rules. However, if you would like to get all the sensual spicy details, you can download the entire ebook of Deadly Valentine free at jennahart.com. Never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 18 Tess had been to only one other funeral in her life. As a teenager, just before she'd convinced her parents to let her attend boarding school in Virginia, she attended her paternal grandmother's funeral. She remembered the day was unusually cool and drippy even for San Francisco. Family and acquaintances filled the church, and later they pooled around the gravesite. It was a somber occasion, but not a tear was shed. It was much like the scene she was witnessing now. The February day was dark and ominous, just like Asa's temperament. Members of the Worthington family and others who knew Asa gathered in the church as the minister spoke of life with the Lord. A murmur ran through the church when the minister talked about Asa being in heaven. Apparently, people felt Asa's good deeds to the community didn't offset the ruthlessness he showed in his business and personal life. Tess spent time watching various members of the family that had been at the house when Asa was murdered, wondering if there would be something in their expression or movement that would reveal a killer. The faces were somber, but not particularly grief-stricken. No one looked guilty or remorseful or even particularly happy that he was gone. Everyone was playing their parts. Later she rode with Daniel to the Worthington home. She remembered how there had been a similar gathering at her grandmother's home, and wondered why the grieving were required to put on a party after losing a family member. During the ride from her office to the church, Daniel had been quiet. As a friend, she thought she should ask if anything was wrong. At least anything more than the obvious sense of loss he may have felt at losing his uncle. But a part of her feared his brooding silence had to do with Jack, and she wasn't in the mood to have that talk. As they rode from the funeral to the Worthington home, he broke his silence. The trip to D.C. went well? Looks like they were going to have to talk about it after all. Yes. Any new revelations? Tess turned to study Daniel's face. Did he know about the senator and Delia and Jack's possible connection? Are you asking me as a cop or a friend? He shook his head in the way people do when they are tired of the same old song and dance. Just asking. Tess opted not to say anything, which would safely keep her from revealing information she wasn't ready to reveal or lie. After a moment, she said, I got a visit from Kate today. Kate? Kate Wells, you know, the news journalist. Right. She told me about the autopsy. How does she do that? Daniel said with a quick look to Tess. She's got mojo. That damn Artie. Why we don't fire him? Did you know? Tess asked. About the cancer. Tess nodded. Are you asking me as a friend or a lawyer? Tess crossed her arms and turned her head to watch as the car made its way out of the city and into the county, with its wooded rolling hills and large farm estates. See, this is why you shouldn't be his lawyer. 
We can't even talk as friends without worrying about tipping our hands. So let's talk about something else. Tess, I'm really worried about you. We agreed we wouldn't talk about this. He was the last one to see Asa alive. Except for the murderer. Tess shot back. He had an argument with him. So did Lauren. Everyone else just gave him the evil eye. Daniel let out a breath. His story differs. Only from two people. Two people who could be lying. It's more likely that one person is lying. No, Daniel. It's more likely that they are all lying about something. I don't know what family you're looking at, but the Worthingtons are not all innocents. Has Johnson talked to the maid? Has he suggested to her that by covering up for Philip, it leaves her without an alibi? Why would we think she was lying or that she needed an alibi? Tess shot Daniel an exasperated look. After a moment, she tried again. Do you remember the Sloan case? The wife that was kidnapped and murdered? Right. What about it? In that case, nearly everyone in that family lied to the police at one point or another, including the gardener. And lie or not, you followed up on every statement that was given. So? Daniel slowed as they neared the turn to the Worthington estate. So, you went after that case hard, looking at everyone. But whether it's your family or that you don't like Jack, you and the rest of the police have developed tunnel vision on this case. Is that going to be your closing argument? Daniel could be a grump, but he was rarely so derisive. No, I won't need a closing argument because what you got on Jack amounts to nothing. Not when there are others that had more motive and the same opportunity. The police aren't inept. Daniel said as they made their way up the long, winding driveway to the Worthington home. Tess sighed. I know that, but they're not robots. They can be biased. Daniel pulled the car into the circle and parked. He dropped one arm over the steering wheel as he turned to look at her. His eyes were hard, even a little dark. And you're blinded by all the valentine shine and polish. You're letting lust cloud your judgment and the facts. Tess wasn't sure why, but the comment hurt as much as if he'd slapped her. She could feel the tears begin to pool in her eyes. She wanted to call him a jerk. She wanted to slap him. She wanted him to be wrong. Inside the house, Tess put as much distance between her and Daniel as she could. Fortunately, he seemed to have the same intention. Once Walter took her coat, she sought out Helen. Tess, thank you for coming. Helen gave her a hug. It was a moving service, Tess said for a lack of a better way to describe it. Some people think it was more than he deserved. People are saying that. Tess was shocked at the nerve. It's easier to attack a vicious man when you know he can't retaliate. They just better not believe in ghosts. Did Daniel tell you? About his illness? I heard about it. I made it my life's mission not to get caught up in the Worthington drama. And because of my selfishness, I wasn't there for him. Tess put her arm around Helen. You can't feel guilty for not being there. There was no way to know that it would have been any different than all the other family gatherings. I could have given in just once. He'd been so adamant about my being there. I told him if he could give me a good reason, I'd consider it. But he never said a word. Not about the cancer. Instead, he gave me a guilt trip about family duty. So you didn't know he was sick? No, I guess that was what he planned to announce. She shook her head, guilt etched on her face. Asa was his usual self-absorbed self, Tess said, hoping to appease her friend's guilt. You'd have been mad at him and probably would have left early. And I'd have given you a good excuse because I wasn't feeling well and wanted to leave myself. Tess, Tom said as he stepped next to Helen. He leaned in and gave her small kiss on the cheek. How are you doing, honey? He asked Helen. I'm doing okay. Oh, there's Tilly Watkins. I need to thank her for letting us hire her staff to help today. Helen said, Excuse me for a minute, would you, Tess? 
Yes, of course. I understand you're representing Mr. Valentine. Tom said as he watched his wife move across the room. He retained my services. Tess was thankful for the opening even as she was worried what he'd think. Would he have the same opinion as Daniel? Smart move, Tom said. And not bad for your practice. Yes. From what I've heard, the police are focusing on him. The police are using a little too much wishful thinking. Even as it came out of her mouth, she wished she'd held her tongue. Although Daniel wasn't on the case, he was associated with the police. Her best bet was to change the subject. Did you know Asa was sick? No. When he didn't elaborate, Tess turned to him. Was he holding something back? Was he lying? She felt a pang of guilt at thinking he would lie to her. He'd been good to her since she was 16 years old, and Helen had brought her home for Thanksgiving. Some people thought Tess had gone into law because of her father, who was a high-powered corporate lawyer in San Francisco. Tess supposed that trying to earn her father's approval was part of her choice in careers. But Tom had to be given credit as well, especially when she made her move from Washington, D.C. to Jefferson Tavern. Tom had been a mentor to her in starting her own practice, but as she regarded him now, she had to wonder if it was possible that Asa kept secrets from Tom. With only a few months to live, Asa would have wanted to make plans for the company and his estate, and Tom would have been the man for the job. She supposed it was possible that Tom knew, but hadn't been allowed to tell Helen, in which case he'd have to lie. Attorney-client privilege would prevent him from sharing with her. But the secret of Asa's illness wasn't as important as the secret about Delia Jackson. Tom, have you ever heard of Delia Jackson? She could have sworn she saw his face drop. Can I get you something to drink, Miss Madison? Walter appeared. No, thank you. She said, annoyed that the butler's interruption gave Tom time to regroup. Mr. Showalter? No, thank you, Walter. Tom watched as Walter walked away, then turned back to Tess, his features impassive. Who was it you were asking about? Delia Jackson. His brows pulled together. I'm not sure. It could be a woman that used to work for the senator. Why would you be asking about her? Tess gave him credit for not lying but not being completely truthful either. Asa. Asa? What about Asa? Tess didn't want to tip her hand. Perhaps she could fudge the truth as well. Along with investigations of Mr. Valentine, Asa was researching Delia Jackson. How did you know that? Tom lowered his voice as he leaned closer to Tess. Asa isn't the only one who can get information about people. He looked nervously around the room. Tess wondered who he was worried would be overhearing their conversation. The senator? Do you know who she was? She was a secretary of the senators. She was killed in a house fire over 30 years ago. Why would Asa be collecting information on her? Who the hell knows? Tom said, looking like he could use a stiff drink. Asa did what he wanted, and information was given on a need-to-know basis. Was it possible that Tom didn't know about Jack's connection to Delia? She couldn't be sure Asa knew the full extent of it, but he'd suspected something. What Tess didn't know is what, if anything, it had to do with Asa's big announcement. Tess decided to leave the conversation about Delia and press on to what Asa had planned the night he was killed. Do you know what Asa's big announcement was going to be? Tom shrugged and turned away. Probably that he was sick. Tess's liar radar buzzed. You didn't know? Tess knew her tone was accusatory. There was a lot that Asa probably didn't tell Tom, but she couldn't believe that he wouldn't have told his closest friend and lawyer about his impending death or future plans for the company and his estate. No! Tom's stare bored into her, daring her to contradict him. To Tess, it was another lie, but why? I just don't get it, Tom. Asa was killed in a house full of people. 
It had to be related to his announcement. I can't imagine telling us he was dying was worth killing him over. It had to be something else. This is beginning to feel a bit like an interrogation, and this definitely isn't the time or place. She felt reprimanded, and she deserved it. Whatever Asa was, Tom and Helen had cared for him and should be allowed to grieve that loss. I'm sorry. You two look like you're having quite a tete-a-tete, -tete, Helen said as she rejoined Tess and Tom. Like everyone else that was there that night, we're comparing notes, trying to figure out what happened. Tom said, casting a warning glance at Tess. Yes. She agreed. How amazingly brazen someone is. I was just thinking the murderer could be here now. Helen's gaze scanned the room. Tess had been wondering the same thing. She decided she was thirsty, and she excused herself from Tom and Helen. There were too many people buzzing around the bar, so she headed to the kitchen. Agnes looked surprised to see her but didn't send her away. Instead, she offered Tess a cup of coffee, which she accepted. I just need a moment away from the crowd, Tess explained. It's a sad day indeed, Agnes said as she scurried around the kitchen. I suppose most people aren't too surprised. Still, it's hard to believe a man like Mr. Worthington is gone. He seemed larger than life. Yes, Tess agreed. Frightful, too. Agnes continued as she busied herself with hors d'oeuvre trays. To think it happened under our noses. It's hard to believe. Takes a lot of gall, that's for sure. Tess saw Agnes's talkative state as an opportunity. You have to wonder what was so important that he had to be killed like that or at all, I suppose. Of course, I wouldn't know anything about that. Mr. Worthington liked to be very discreet about his business. Tess had a war within herself. She really shouldn't question Agnes. But who better to ask about family ties than the help? When would she have another chance? She took a sip of coffee and then asked the pertinent question. Agnes, did you know Delia Jackson? Now there's a name I haven't heard in a while. You knew her. Tess asked. Yes. Agnes's expression turned wistful. Such a sweet girl. Naive, but very good-hearted and a smile like no other. She could have gotten whatever she wanted with that smile if she'd learned how to use it. Like mother, like son, Tess thought. Except Jack knew how to use his... What happened to her? Such a tragedy. She had her whole life in front of her. She was killed in a fire. Her and her baby. Agnes shook her head. Such a loss. What about her husband? Tess hoped she came off curious and not like a lawyer seeking answers. She wasn't married. Agnes said with disapproval in her voice. What about the baby's father? Tess sipped her coffee. Agnes gave a shrug and turned back to her dishes in the sink. He was in the military, I think. The senator tried to find him, but I don't know what happened. It's sad, really. No one claimed her. She had a mother somewhere. Tess held her coffee cup in both hands, letting the warmth drive the chill from her fingers. She'd been operating under the assumption that the senator was Jack's father. But maybe Agnes was right. Cora didn't strike Tess as being the most reliable source of information. It could be that in her grief and need to blame someone for Delia's death, she accused the senator of setting the fire. But why did she believe that the senator was Jack's father? Delia could have told Cora and the senator lied to cover up his involvement. Or Agnes could be lying. The staff of important people usually knew the truth, but often lied to protect their employers. Perhaps Agnes was giving her the line the senator had told them to give over 30 years ago. Who has a mother somewhere? Asked Walter as he entered the kitchen carrying a tray of empty cups. You remember Delia, don't you, Walter? Agnes asked as she took the tray from him. Walter's been here even longer than me, she said to Tess. It's my wrinkles that give it away, he said with a grin. Turning to Tess, he asked. How is it that you're talking about Delia? Tess shrugged, not wanting to tip her hand. 
Fortunately, Agnes responded. Wasn't she a sweet girl? He nodded. Sweet as my mama's homegrown honey, but not very smart. If she'd moved back to the house like she was supposed to, she might still be with us today. Agnes nodded. Stubborn. How was she going to raise that baby without a job? I thought you said she worked for the senator. Tess asked. She did. Walter said. Until she got it in her head to quit. Did something happen? Tess asked, trying to sound nosy instead of like an interrogator. Someone else would have fired her. Agnes said with a shake of a soapy wooden spoon. But not the senator. He said he'd keep her on even though it could reflect poorly on him. Walter nodded in agreement. Tess figured even at that time in the South, unmarried mothers carried a stigma. For a conservative family values senator, it could raise a few eyebrows. He even made arrangements for her to stay here and have a nanny. Isn't that right, Walter? That's right. Tess frowned. Nannies weren't cheap. It's unlikely Delia would be able to work enough to cover the cost of one. That's very generous of him. The senator's a good man. Walter said. He knew she wasn't very worldly, and that's why she got in trouble. So he did the decent thing. But she was too dumb to accept his help. Don't talk ill of the dead. Agnes made the sign of the cross. I do hope that Delia and baby Brady were there to meet Asa in heaven. Walter snorted. I'm sure Asa is nowhere near Delia and her baby. Agnes looked stricken. You can't think he's there. She pointed her finger downward. Walter picked up the tray with a shrug. He was a hard man and sometimes unchristian, but he did so many good things for the community. Agnes said. For his sake, I hope it was enough. Walter said, making his way to the door. But it sure is calmer around here now, don't you think? Bite your tongue. Agnes snapped. You shouldn't speak ill of the dead. As if to make sure she was safe, she grabbed the salt shaker and threw a dash over her shoulder, though most of it stuck to her wet fingers. Walter laughed. I don't think he can make my life any worse now than he did when he was alive. Then he stepped out the door. What did he mean by that? Tess asked. Agnes waved his comment away. Oh, it's just a little rivalry. Rivalry. The senator is like a father to Walter, and Walter just adores him, looks out for him. Asa would sometimes do things to remind Walter of his place. Not that Walter ever forgot his place, but, well... Tess thought that kind of behavior could make someone mad. But could it make someone mad enough to kill? She gave her head a shake. The butler did it? Her lips twitched at the idea. Wouldn't that be something? And Agnes could be Miss Marple. But as much as Walter disliked Asa, he cared for the senator more. It was doubtful that Walter would do anything to upset the senator especially killing his only son. Just then, the door shot open. I swear to God, that man. Sarah. Agnes snapped like a mother reprimanding a child. Sarah blinked in surprise and then noticed Tess. She bit her lip as she made her way with a tray full of plates to Agnes. The two women stood at the sink with their backs to Tess. It was a reminder of her place as well. Or at least where her place wasn't. Chapter 19 Tess wasn't able to get much work done when she returned to the office. She told herself it was because of the tension building between her and the showalters. In one afternoon, she'd upset Daniel and Tom, but she knew that was only a small part of her restlessness. Jack hadn't called, emailed, or texted. It worried her. And if she was honest with herself, she also felt disappointed, which in turn caused her to feel guilty. Why would he be thinking of her when his life had just been turned upside down? She wanted to call him, to help him, but he'd been clear that he didn't want or need her. To distract herself, she decided to visit her favorite boutique. Tess had learned to live on less in her modest new life, 
except when it came to couture undergarments. Her favorites were Corrine Gilson, but she could make do with La Perla or Damaris as well. Tess was rarely able to afford her undergarment fetish anymore, but after all the drama and angst of the last 24 hours, just looking at the pretty lace clothing would make her feel better. She walked the block and a half to the historic section of downtown Jefferson Tavern to Césarier's boutique. She pushed open the door, hearing the familiar bell jingle as she walked in. Ah, Tess, bonjour, bonjour, viens. Bonjour, Césarier, comment allez-vous. The other perk of visiting Césarier is that Tess could practice the French she learned from the nanny she had until her mother fired her for playing bedroom games with her father. Good, good. I'm so glad you came by. I just got the most beautiful La Perla set in the other day. It made me think of you, and just in time for Valentine's Day, yes? Was it Valentine's Day already? You know I don't need a man to enjoy your lingerie. Césarie's eyes twinkled. Ah, but it's more fun, n'est-ce pas? Tess was about to say she couldn't remember. Except the image of Jack's face as he'd sneaked a peek at her getting ready for bed flashed in her mind. Admittedly, she'd liked his reaction. Unfortunately, it appeared that she wouldn't have a valentine for Valentine's Day this year. It was the first year in many that the idea made her sad. But if there was one thing that could make her feel better, it was lingerie shopping. Show me what you have, Tess said. Tess had only meant to look, but ultimately walked out with the La Perla set Cesarie showed her. She justified purchase by reasoning that it was less than half the price of the Corrine Gilson set she'd really wanted. Once home, she made herself a frozen diet meal for dinner. After eating, she made a fire and sat in her chaise chair to go through files she'd neglected over the last few days. She'd barely gotten through the second file when there was a knock at the door. It wasn't too late for visitors, but most people called first. To be safe, she peered through the curtains to see who was at her door. The figure was dark, tall, and sad. Jack, she said, opening the door. He looked up at her with tired eyes. I owe you an apology. For what? She opened the door wider to invite him in. For last night, I was rude. She waved it off. It's understandable. You just had the rug pulled out from under you. She closed the door and looked up at him. I should probably apologize to you for how it all came out. He didn't say anything. She hated how beaten down he looked, but was relieved he was here. He could have simply called, but he'd come to her. Would you like a drink? She offered. Sure. Wine is the strongest I've got. Wine is fine. She left him in the living area as she went to the kitchen. When she returned, he was standing by the fire, his eyes lost in the glowing embers. Thanks. He took the wine from her. He swallowed half the contents and waited, as if he expected the wine to soothe some part of him. When I saw you again at Aces, I promised myself that this time I'd do everything right. And yet I've been a complete jerk. Twice. No, you haven't. You were hurt and angry, with good reason. His blue-green eyes stared at her intently. Not at you. It doesn't always matter. I told you to get out. It wasn't my business. You and Cora needed to talk. I needed you to stay. The look in his eyes touched her deep in her soul. He had needed her. I was too proud to have you watch as my life unraveled. Would you have stayed? She reached out, wanting to touch him, to reassure him. Yes. Some of the storm in his eyes cleared. He set his glass on the mantle and reached for her gathering her close and holding on as if she was the only thing keeping him together. I was afraid you wouldn't let me in the door. I didn't realize I was that unreasonable. He brought his head up enough to look at her. I would have deserved it. No. She shook her head. No, you wouldn't have. Why don't we sit down and you can tell me what happened? 
if you want to. Jack picked up the glass and swallowed the last of his wine. Do you want more? No. He replaced the glass on the mantel. He took her hand and pulled her with him as he sat on the couch. Did you and Cora work things out? It'll be a process. He continued to hold her hand. So? Tess wasn't sure if she should ask. Is Delia your mother? He took a deep breath, let it out. She gave birth to me. And the senator? Cora is convinced of it, that he got Delia pregnant and killed her. But? Delia never actually told Cora who the father was. The story given at the time is that the father was in the military. Jack's head tilted to look at her. Where did you hear that? I was at the funeral today and ended up in the kitchen. Agnes and Walter worked with her. They remember her as a sweet but naive girl. The senator had made arrangements for her, but she'd quit, wanted to go it alone. Did they know this guy? No. In fact, I'm not sure they buy the story they were told. They think it was the senator, too. He asked. We didn't get that far, but he was doing a lot for her, considering her position and his... I heard he'd done things for his staff. He took Walter in as a teenager. Tess quirked a brow. You've done your own investigation. I want to know what I'm in the middle of. There's one more thing. Asa had cancer. Terminal. Jack's eyes widened. How long did he have? A few months. He let the information soak in. So either the killer could have waited or Asa's impending death had him making plans the killer didn't want him to implement. Tess nodded. I'm more inclined to believe the latter. It's a desperate person that murders someone in the middle of a dinner party. This just gets crazier and crazier. He let his head fall back on the couch and closed his eyes. Are you all right? I will be. I'm still having difficulty coping with the idea that I may have Worthington blood flowing in my veins. Biology doesn't make you who you are. He lifted his head to look at her. This time his eyes showed annoyance. You think I'm being unreasonable? Not at all. I think you have every right to be hurt and angry, out of sorts even. But who you are, that's not from your DNA. It's from the people who loved you, raised you. Do you really believe that? Tess gave a short laugh. I have to. Otherwise, I'm doomed to end up like my parents, and I fought very hard to be nothing like them. His expression dropped. Christ, I've done it again. I forgot you had the parents from hell. At least I had a great childhood. Tess reached out with her other hand to pat their linked fingers. It was no picnic, that's for sure. That's how I know breeding, blood, DNA, whatever you want to call it, doesn't determine who we are. Do you know what's really bothering me? I can only choose one. She was pleased when his lips twitched upward. One of several. It's the adoption. It couldn't have been legal, could it? Don't parents have to sign papers agreeing to give their kid for adoption? Delia didn't have a chance, but what about the dad? I don't know what the adoption laws were back then. But adoption used to be very secretive. Delia was dead and no father is listed on the birth certificate. So if Cora could show she had custody of you, then I imagine that the adoption was legal. Except that there is a father somewhere. Tess studied Jack, trying to identify the source of his concern. Was he really worried about an uninformed birth father, or that the adoption wasn't legal? If it wasn't legal, then technically the parents he'd grown up with were not parents, adoptive or otherwise. She shuddered at the idea of being a child without a family. If Cora doesn't have the adoption papers, we can try to get them. Although it will be difficult. Adoption records are closed in Virginia. Without some very compelling reason, we may not be able to see them. But Jack... She lifted their linked hands and pulled them to her heart. They're just papers. The love you received from your parents is all the validation you need that you were theirs. For the first time since he'd arrived, he looked like a weight was lifted from his shoulders. I knew I needed you. 
He leaned toward her, pressed his lips to hers in a gentle kiss. She could feel the tension slowly dissipate as his lips slid silently, smoothly over hers. I feel like this thing with Asa has hijacked my life. He said when he broke the kiss. I need a break from it. Do you want to be alone? No. He tugged her hand up to his lips, kissed her knuckles. It was a gesture that made her insides melt. You're the only light in my life right now. Tess tried to hold back a snort at the corniness of his comment, but wasn't successful. He gave her a questioning look. Are you going to quote music lyrics to me? She asked. He smiled, and for the first time in what seemed like a long time, it reached all the way to his eyes, to his dimple. Will it help my chances? Chocolate is better. How about if I quote one of those sensual songs on your iPod? Tess felt the blush heat her cheeks. A little sexual healing. He asked. I don't have that song. She said. I like Marvin's older stuff better. His eyes sparkling with mischief. Oh, right. Tell me, does she sure loves to ball mean what I think it does? What do you think it means? Jack leaned closer. Can I show you? God, she wanted him to. And what sane woman would turn down Jack Valentine? But at the back of her mind, she still puzzled over why he suddenly was so interested in her when he hadn't been before. Even when she'd given him the opportunity. Why me? She asked. Why you what? We don't go together. We don't fit. We don't know that yet. He said with a waggle of his brow. Not like that. Look at us, Jack. You're about a foot taller than me and an Adonis and I'm just... He pressed a finger to her lips. You're smart and beautiful and sexy and I want you. I always have. Tess wasn't convinced. Should I remind you that I'm not the only one who wants you? Deputy Dan would love for me to go to jail so he can have you. You had your chance. She hated how much she was revealing to him. I knew it. I knew this was about the night. I don't want to go into it. She tried to rise, but he grabbed her by the waist, pulling her into his lap. You brought it up. It's time we had it out. Jack, don't. Why? Because I was humiliated. His eyes widened. Humiliated? Tess, I would never want to hurt you. What I did was to avoid that. It's not your fault. I was the one who threw myself at you. I thought maybe all that flirting. But I was wrong. You can't sit here and tell me differently. She closed her eyes, wishing she was anywhere but here. He gave her a light shake. I did want you. I hurt with wanting you. Jack. Hear me out. He drew in a breath. Turning you down that night was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And I nearly gave in, except I wanted... No, I needed you to want me. Usually when a woman throws herself at you, it means she wants you. She tried again to disentangle herself from him, but he only tightened his grip. You wanted someone, but it wasn't about me. An hour before you showed up at my place, you were still engaged to another man. You were angry and wanted to get back at him for cheating. Or maybe you wanted to bury the pain or feel needed, I don't know. All I know is that it wasn't about me. Your feelings for me didn't match my feelings for you. As much as I wanted you, I wanted that more. He was right. She'd gone to Jack because she knew him, trusted him, and needed someone to tell her she wasn't a loser. She wanted him to take away the pain and humiliation of having been a fool to be engaged to a man who not only cheated, but who preferred men. And in the end, she'd only made it worse for herself. And Jack had made it worse by being honorable. I didn't want to wake up the next morning to face your regret. He continued. To have you leave or be embarrassed. In the end, you left anyway. I tried to contact you, but you just cut me off. Sometimes I think I should have given in. Maybe we'd still be together, or maybe you would have left. But then I would have known. Known what? His eyes were penetrating right to her core. What it was like to love you. Tessa's mouth felt like sandpaper. 
the way he could look at her, talk to her and make her go all hot and liquid inside. He leaned closer. I'm determined to know this time, Tess. His words were somewhere between a promise and threat. Maybe not tonight, but someday. She swallowed the lump that formed in her throat. Every nerve in her body was firing. She finally believed in the possibility of spontaneous combustion. He continued to watch her as his lips moved millimeter by millimeter closer to hers. Although tonight seems like a good time. He said against her lips. At the moment, it seemed like a good time to her, too. This time, there was nothing gentle or soothing about the kiss. She gave herself over to it, threading her hands in his hair, pulling him closer, closer. As quick as the passion had sprung, the panic swept through her at the feel of his need. She pushed and flailed to get free of him. He jerked back and she took advantage by rolling out from under him, tumbling onto the floor. Tess? He reached out to help her, but she drew away. I'm all right. She said breathlessly as she righted herself and stood. Did I hurt you? She shook her head and turned away as embarrassment and shame spread. What is it? How could she explain? How could she tell him that his clever hands and lips, the words that drew her in, only served to highlight her inexperience? She was no prude, but neither could she compete with the likes of Ava Dumont and other long-legged women he'd been with before. I'm sorry. I don't think I can do this. She expected to see anger or at least irritation, but his face showed worry. I'm sorry. He said, watching her from his seat on the couch. No, it's not that I don't want to, uh... He waited for her to continue, to give him an explanation. But how could she confess her insecurities? Is this still about what happened before? He asked. No. It's more about my still not understanding why you want me. You can have any woman you want. She chanced to look at him but then turned away, embarrassed by her foolishness, hating that she was so insecure. That's not exactly true. He went to her then, taking her loosely in his arms. There's only one woman I want and that doesn't seem to be going very well. And when I say want, I don't just mean in a sensual sense, although that would be nice. What if it wasn't? His brows drew together. What? What if it wasn't nice? I don't understand. She sighed, feeling like such a dope. What if I'm not that good? He bit his lip to keep from laughing. Don't you laugh at me. I'm not. He said as a snicker slipped out. How could you not be good? Don't you see what you do to me? Brad didn't seem to think I was any good. God, I drove him to another man. She tugged away from him, not able to look him in the eyes. That's crazy. It's as crazy as my thinking that being related to the Worthingtons changes who I am. He said. Brad was gay before he met you. He's always been gay. It was no reflection on you as a woman. She knew he was right but the feelings of inadequacy stayed with her. If she'd been more feminine or sexy, it would have been different, which she knew wasn't true, and yet the belief was still there. It's to your credit that he was willing to try to act straight. Not that he should have, because no one should have to deny who and what they are. But he cared for you enough that he thought he could pull it off. Just for his parents' money, not for me. Jack studied her for a moment. He once told me that if you were a man, you'd have been perfect for him. The only thing wrong with you was that you were a woman. Tess let out a small laugh. I, on the other hand, I love that you're a woman. She allowed him to turn her and take her into his arms. And as far as your being any good, just holding you, kissing you is far better than I'd ever imagined. And I have a pretty good imagination. If that's true, I will fall short. I won't let you. Who knows, maybe I'm the one who's no good. Or maybe we'll discover that we're both pretty good. He kissed her cheek, letting his lips trail down to her jaw, her neck. We won't know until we try. His breath whispered, teased at the nape of her neck. The fire that had been anger and humiliation changed, 
melted into liquid heat surging through her veins, creating a need, an ache that nearly dropped her to her knees. What would it hurt to give in, she wondered, as his lips and hands coaxed her out of her resistance. Every woman should have at least one night in her life in which she was ravished by a nearly perfect man, right? It was hopeless to fight and, well, she didn't want to. What she wanted was to let go of her inhibition and enjoy what he could give her. Maybe if she gave in this once, just got it over with, she could let herself go, live a little, maybe even love a little like she used to. Okay, okay, you win. He took her hands, stilled them in his own. You need to be sure, Tess. Annoyed that he stopped, that he could stop, she said. I said okay, let's get this over with. His eyes darkened as they dropped her hands. Is that how you feel? It's a chore to get out of the way? What? No. There was a new kind of panic now. A panic that he'd change his mind, that he'd reject her after all. She reached for him, but he took a step back, shook his head. You sure know how to kill a mood, Tess. Wait, I thought you wanted me. More than anything. I ache with it, but not like this. You have to want it, really want it too. He didn't wait for her response. Instead, he turned, strode out of the room and up the hall to her bathroom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode from Tales from the Heart. And I hope that you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week to find out. Will Tess be able to get the mood back? And what's going to happen with the investigation on who offed Asa Worthington? To make sure you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget that you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine free through my website at jennahart.com. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.